Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Seth, how are you today? I'm okay. I've had yeah. allergies. Oh, it's allergies have been bad right now. I've like I've never had allergies this bad, so I've just been like laid out yeah. with stuffy noses. So are you on the mend right now? I am on the mend. You might hear me sniffle a couple times uh-huh. and put a tissue to my face. Dear podcast listener, don't fair, mind me. Fair enough. I mean, you know, it's all part of the process. It's all, yeah. Yeah, we're all humans slowly dying, <laughs> waiting for the day of the Lord, <laughs> waiting for the day of the Lord, which is our rock solid segue into the book of Joel. So yeah, we're in the book of Joel. Um, and uh, this is one of the minor prophets. Uh, if you're coming into the book of Joel, kind of like maybe not knowing much about the book, or maybe you've got a Maybe you're, you know, a really good Bible reader and you know that maybe Peter quotes it in Acts 2. Yes. Uh, or maybe like Paul quotes it when he talks about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're a really adept Bible reader, yeah. but you're coming to this and you're like, I don't really know what Joel's about. Why, mm-hmm. why, like, what should be the thing here that people have in their heads I mean, about the book of Joel? The thing that the book of Joel is about is something called the day of the Lord. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an Old Testament word to describe when the Lord comes towards the earth to either judge Israel's enemies mm-hmm. or to bring mercy towards Israel itself and restore Israel back to either former glory or to like Edenic glory, mm-hmm. get it back to the Garden of Eden. Like that's the day of the Lord. And it's hinted at kind of throughout the biblical narrative, mm-hmm. like starting all the way back in Egypt, but also um, throughout the major and minor prophets, the day of the Lord is like talked about. But Joel is the one who kind of goes all in on it mm-hmm. um, and kind of gives us the deepest understanding of what the day of the Lord could be and how it might work. So like, if you don't understand the book of Joel, maybe that's like another way to say like, so what's on the line if we don't get Joel in our our systems? If we don't have Joel in our systems, what do we miss out on? Like if you don't have Joel in your system, you're not going to understand why Jesus is coming again at the end of the time, at the Mm. end of time. Or like like why he didn't just come once. Right. That is very confusing. Right. Why didn't that's helpful. Why didn't Jesus just come one time? Yeah. And then fix it all then. <laughs> That's such a good um, question. And Joel's going to start to answer that for you. <laughs> That's good. That's helpful. And I, I, this one's kind of a minor thread through Joel. In the minor prophets. In the minor <laughs> prophets. But Joel was written in response to a natural disaster. Right. So even as like COVID is winding down for mm. us, it's just an interesting time to reflect on a book written in a time of yeah. natural disaster in corporate national death, wailing, and devastation. Yeah. 
yeah, everyone is sad. Everyone Joel, is sad. And Joel. they're like, what is going on? And then Joel steps in and answers the question. Yes. Okay. Although that's, that's they good. were locusts, not a not virus. Not a virus. But, yeah. uh, but you potato, know. potato. <laughs> COVID cicada. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, Aunt, did you hear about the... Uh, the like 14 or 17 year dormant cicadas that are about to swarm oh, the God. East coast. No. Oh yeah. It's supposed to be like the, like the loudest the, summer. In yeah. History. No, yeah. Like in 17 years, like they've been breeding underground and stuff. And like so many of their over, like, like their breeding cycles are overlapping and this is the year that it hits and I, they're supposed to be like 10 times as dense wow. or something like that. I had no idea. So the was... locusts are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's happening. If you guys didn't guess already, Joel, the natural disaster Joel starts with is locusts. Yes. So. Yeah. Which I, you, you, you told me this yesterday. Yeah. I, I didn't know about what oh. a locust was. Yeah. I thought it was like, just like a, a separate, entirely separate insect. No, it's just a grasshopper that whenever it gets around other grasshoppers, the vibration of the other grasshoppers causes it to metamorph metamorph what into another not another species but a totally different form of itself like it hulks out yes exactly right like <laughs> gamma it radiation. gets larger it changes colors it grows different body parts like what? it is a totally different animal be, by virtue of just being around other locusts it's so it's, it's crazy yeah so it locusts like locusts in the in the ancient world especially i mean they're still completely devastating today uh yeah. you know but like especially in the ancient world when your whole uh, livelihood is based around crops. Yeah. To have a swarm of something that eats crops is a big deal. Is a huge deal. Well, I was even researching just locusts in general. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> like, ap apparently, like in a lot of places where locusts are more common, so Middle East, mm -hmm. Africa, uh, you, it's a hard to natural disaster to plan for because uh, it happens yeah. once every 20 years, 30 years, maybe 50 years. So there's no public funds to like solve the problem. Mm. So even in modern countries or fairly developing countries, like it's still devastating yeah. because there's just no way to handle the mass deforestation, the mass crop shortages of an entire season's worth of like goods. Totally. So it's it's a kind of a crazy thing yeah so israel has just experienced that yes they have had their crops eaten down to nothing from a huge locust plague yeah here's the first four chapter four verses of joel okay. hear this you elders give ear all inhabitants of the land such a thing ha happened in your days. has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers tell of this to your children let your children tell their children their children to another generation so so nothing like this has really ever happened before and it's so big you're going to be talking about it for decades to come. Yes. Okay. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping lo locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. It's like four waves of locusts. Like yes. the first one comes like, okay, I mean, they ate pretty much everything, but there's still a little bit left. And then another one comes, okay, wait, there's still the there's stalks still left. Yeah. It's like, oh, never mind. Everything's no, it's gone. all just totally destroyed and so joel is a prophet mm -hmm. responding to this and helping israel make sense of this natural disaster and so yeah. like even just to start nobody knows who joel is yeah or when joel was written right like it's, there are some internal clues and, and scholars make guesses but that's really the best we have is educated guesses even one commentator i was reading who felt like he had some pretty firm boundaries of understanding mm -hmm. when joel was written gave about a 90 year range <laughs> he's just like we don't know yeah <laughs> Yeah, Joe, the only identifying marker we're told of Joel, he's the son of Pethuel. Oh, Pethuel? I, I know Pethuel. <laughs> 
don't know who we Pethuel know who is. is. It's just he's just Joel, right. son of Pethuel, who is apparently a prophet, helping people make sense of this natural disaster. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple ways that you could that's even that piece of information is helpful for you as you read through the book of Joel. One, Joel, Joel's like a chronology. Chrono- 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 chronological, chronological place placement yeah. kind of think can make you think of him as like the prophet of prophets the cliff notes of the prophets mm, like a, a synopsis yeah, yeah. A, a synthesizer he's taking all the information that the, mm. the prophets have thought of in ezekiel and zephaniah and isaiah and he, amos amos and he quotes all of them yeah throughout his whole book and he's saying here's the cliff notes version if you're gonna take everything all the other prophets are saying about the day of the lord and the way that we should respond to natural disaster and expect coming judgment mm. here it is in three chapters mm. and the fact that there's so few details about his life or when it was written is by virtue of the fact that he's giving you the cliff notes of all the major and minor prophets. Right, that and he's wanting it to be a repeatable like liturgy yes. that people could go through regardless of time. Yeah, anytime there's a natural disaster, yep. you could read Joel. Anytime an enemy army is coming against you, whether a locust or a, a physical one, mm-hmm. you could read Joel, lament, repent, and ask the Lord for mercy. Okay. That's good. Yeah, and I kind of like that reading of it too because yep. it means like, okay, so that means that's actually a practical use next time there's a tsunami. Mm. Next time, as the pandemic rolls on, like Joel has a usefulness in my life as a meditation during a time of natural national mourning yeah. over natural disasters. Mm. Um, so as you guys engage, read through the book of Joel, keep those categories in mind. Yeah, totally. Okay, so uh, we've talked about Joel being achronological mm-hmm. in, in terms of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of like messing with time a little bit there. Yeah. But the book of Joel itself uh, in its contents messes with time too. It does. Because almost without knowing, you know, if, unless you're paying really close attention, he switches from talking about the past to the future. And then mm-hmm. he changes the future from something bad to something good. And then he talks about a future future. Yes. And so it's like, help me lay out the structure for okay. everybody because this is, it could get confusing. So let's go back to the day of the Lord. Okay. Uh, the day of the Lord is a day either of the Lord's judgment against Israel's enemies or mercy towards Israel in which he'll restore Israel back to her former glory or back right. to the garden. Of and it can be both. And it can be both. At the same time. And that's kind of what Joel really like pushes in for us at the very end. Like those two things can happen simultaneously. And the, and well, I guess before we get to the structure, something to be helpful yeah. is a, a good like paradigm for people to have in their heads for, well, how can a day of the Lord be both good and bad is mm-hmm. something Joel picks up on is Egypt, is the plagues of Egypt, which also yes. had locusts, right? Yeah, well, maybe we, before we talk about the structure of Joel, like, yeah. let's just keep talking about the locusts for a second. Right. Locusts are actually a really common like device in scripture. Mm-hmm. And the first time we see locusts is in the Exodus story, mm. when God is saving Israel from the oppressive Egyptians. And he sends them as a way to judge I- Egypt for their failure to listen to God, mm-hmm. and a way to secure for Israel a way out of slavery and into their own promised land. Right, like the pl- the ten plagues, one of which is a plague of locusts, mm-hmm. both judges Egypt and saves Israel. Yep, because it yeah it, it it gives them a way out. So like that's how a day of the Lord 
can be both good both and bad. Things. Yeah, and e- this is a weirder one, but we talked about this in the Joshua podcast, mm. but back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God promises that he'll send insects oh. in front of the Israelite army to drive out the Canaanites. Right. So it's a judgment against Israel's enemies, mm-hmm. but also a day of mercy and salvation for them because they can come in behind the departed Canaanites yes. and rest in the land. Okay, that makes sense. So there's this idea that insects as a plague mm. equal a day of the Lord's judgment against Israel's enemies mm-hmm. and a day of mercy for Israel. And the Bible picks up this imagery again in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. So locusts appear again in your Bibles and they'll quote the book of Joel in the Revelation, I believe nine and seven, and it uses the same imagery here, but it's heightened up and ratcheted up to these like crazy proportions. These mm-hmm. locusts are the size of horses and they've got like human faces and yeah. long hair. They're crazy, but they're quoting <laughs> and lion's teeth, which is the way <laughs> which is the way Joel actually describes it in chapter mm-hmm. one. He says they have teeth are their teeth are lion's teeth and they have the uh, fangs of lionesses and they lay waste my vine and fig tree. So the, the author of Revelation is picking up on Joel. Right, and he's saying a day of the Lord's mercy and judgment is coming again at the end of time. Mm-hmm. And he's pulling that idea from Joel. Okay. So So yeah, that's really interesting. Yes. Okay. So uh, if if you're kind of walking through the biblical narrative and you hear about a day of the Lord, you hear about a plague of insects, mm-hmm. you're thinking um, great, God's going to judge the enemy and save Israel. That's right. But we get to Joel and the script is reversed. Right. And that is what the people are struggling to understand. Yeah, because this plague of locusts hasn't come against Israel's enemies. It's come against herself. Mm-hmm. And so most of Joel is just, Joel chapter one at least, is describing the chaos that comes after this thing of locusts. As I said before, the the vine has been laid waste. The fig tree is splintered. The bark has been stripped down. Uh, lament virgins who have not yet been married. Uh, priests mourn because you can. No, there's no food for you to offer mm-hmm. in the temple anymore. He even says drunks get sad because you're going to have no more wine anymore. <laughs> He's like, there, there's not one aspect of society. Farmers, drunks, priests, virgins, everyone is mourning over the devastation that's caused by this mm-hmm. famine. And he mentions that it's a famine in the land. And then behind the famine, there's a fire. Mm. So now that all the greenery is gone and you're in the oppressive Middle Eastern summer heat, yeah. a fire comes. Uh, verse 19 of chapter one, to you, O Lord, I call for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The flame has burned all the trees of the field. And even the beasts of the field pant for you because the water brooks are dried up. I mean, it's, it's really, that's really intense. Uh, what's weird about Joel, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. is normally w- when something like this happens, like I'm thinking about lamentations, mm-hmm. you hear all this terrible stuff that's going on, and then the author will be like, and this is because of our sins, or the prophet is like, and this is because you have neglected the house of the Lord, O Israel, or whatever. Yep. But we're not told, like, why this is happening, right? No, we're just told that it happened. It's so weird. So Israel is... One, so the day of the Lord implies uh-huh. Israel's done something wrong. Sure, because like, God's not capricious. He's not just going to do something because right. he can. And even in Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse, what is it, 38, mm. one of the covenant curses, mm-hmm. so if you break the covenant, is that God promises he'll send locusts to devour your fields. So like we are given a reason back all the way in in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. But here it's implicit. We have all this destruction that's happening and we're told that's one possible consequence Mm -hmm. of breaking the Torah, but we don't know which reason. And all that Joel tells Israel to do and the only explanation he gives is 
lament and repent mm. and the Lord will relent. Mm. That's kind of like the only hope he offers. Did you just write my poem for me? I probably did. Repent and lament what? and the Lord will relent. relent. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty solid. Uh, we should write that down. We should we'll write that down somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's kind of chapter one is okay. like, this is the devastation that's come against Israel. They've done something wrong, but we don't know what. Joel is happy to leave it unnamed for the time being. And in fact, he never names it. And Israel is reckoning with the fact that God is judging them for something, and they don't precisely know what it is. Mm. Okay. Um, are there any other, like, when I'm like, I'm just like scanning over Joel mm-hmm. 1, and I see like pomegranate and mm-hmm. apples and all these things uh being swallowed up it reminds me of like eden yeah imagery it totally should okay because and maybe this is the time we go into joel chapter two Mm. because in joel chapter two we get a ratcheting up of all the imagery used in joel chapter one okay so in joel chapter one you have locusts that are like lions in joel chapter two you have locusts that are like an army Mm. in joel chapter one you have figs and pomegranates and all the names of the fruit and then in joel chapter two it's literally called the garden of eden the land is like the garden of eden before them this is these like escalated locusts but behind them is a desolated wilderness and nothing can escape from them Mm. um the even the way that the locusts are described is ramped up to sound like an army their appearance is like that of horses like a war horse they run the rumbling is like that of chariots like Mm. the drone of the locusts in the sky is like chariots like crushing rocks underneath them. got it so is he is is the author doing that because he's because Israel was supposed to be like the Garden of Eden, and, I, and like now, like they're it's hopeless. They'll never be that. Or, or what else so. is going on? I think it could be that it's yeah. like Israel imagined itself like the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Even like the temple is full of garden imagery, totally. so it's like the the hope of Israel that it would be a garden. Mm. And every time a new tree was planted, a new orchard thrived. More like civilization happened in Israel. It was so an image of the garden of Eden expanding from God's mm-hmm. children people. But for a locust to just devastate all that, it's like, it's a reversal of all God's plans. It's like another fall. It's like another fall. Mm-hmm. And even in it, the book of Ezekiel, this is again, that's a quote from the book of Ezekiel 36, oh. where Ezekiel promises that Israel will have desolation behind them, but in front of them will be the garden of Eden because oh. they're supposed to be going out and remaking the world. But it's flipped. But it's flipped. And because there's the guard, like the desolation is, is in front of them is behind them behind the them the Eden is in front of them <laughs> but yes. the locusts are eating it all up yes okay crazy so even like the promises of god from ezekiel seem to be being eaten up as well yeah that's that, super hopeless yeah and so this is this goes back to also the playing with time thing you mentioned so yeah, i was gonna ask because it's like okay so is he just describing the locusts in a different way like they were like lions now they're like an army and like, but he's describing yeah. the same thing, or is he talking about two different things? So as you're reading through Joel, Joel chapter one is describing a past day of the Lord mm-hmm. when some locusts came and just destroyed Israel. A real physical event with real physical locusts causing real physical damage. That's exactly right. And then chapter two begins this way, blow a trumpet in Zion, like sound the alarm on mm-hmm. my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming uh, and it is near. So Joel says, okay, You've seen one day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now you should expect the second. Mm. You should look at the destruction and devastation of this first day of the Lord's judgment and use it as a way to look forward to another day 
and an increasingly violent day of mm. Lord's judgment coming gotcha. in the future. Kind of like uh, back in the Exodus story in Egypt, when one plague was, should have woken mm-hmm. Pharaoh up to a, a newer and worse plague, and yes. it, it didn't. <laughs> yes. Okay. Or the way that Jesus talks about it in mm. Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples ask him, so when are you going to come back? When is Israel going to become the nation, the, the nation that it once was again? So, in, or don't uh, they ask him about 24, when, when will the temple be destroyed? Isn't that what they that's ask what, him? That's what I'm trying. Okay. Yeah. Um, tell us, when will this happen? Right. And they, they're talking and about the, the destruction the temple, of the temple. The temple being destroyed. Yeah. That's, that's right. What's the sign of the coming and the end of the age? They're mm-hmm. thinking about the well, final day of the Lord's judgment. Well, yeah. Well, for them, if Jesus was saying that the temple was going to be destroyed, that would be the end of the world for them. Right. That right. would be a day of the Lord yes. like no none other before right. it. So when is that going to happen, they're asking. And what Jesus does is he like, he doesn't quote Joel precisely in this this part, but he will in a second. Mm-hmm. But he does what Joel does. And he says, there's going to be earthquakes, mm-hmm. there's gonna be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, nations are going to rise against nation. But all of those things are actually just birth pains. Mm. The greater day of the Lord is coming. You should look at all these natural disasters, these wars, these earthquakes, these rumors of war as harbingers, as omens of a greater day of the Lord yet to come. It's yeah. like, and I can't tell you that day when that's going to happen. Right. But that's the way you should understand and think about that final day of the Lord. Okay. So Joel is saying like, okay, the locusts that happened in the past should be an indicator that there is going to come a greater day of judgment on Israel in the future. Mm-hmm. In the same way, Jesus was saying, anytime you see a war or earthquake or famine, that should tell you things aren't right. God mm-hmm. is judging the world, and it's pointing towards a future day of right. worse judgment. Yeah, and I grew up in a t- I grew up reading a whole bunch of books about like, oh, the war in Iraq is was mentioned in the book of Daniel or, yeah. you know, 9-11 was prophesied in Revelation uh, Revelation chapter 10. Right. And that's actually not the way that Jesus would tell you to mm-hmm. read or Joel would tell you to read current events. That's right. Every time you see a war, every time you see a natural disaster, you're supposed to say, this is like what's to come. It's not, oh, this is what is coming. Right. <laughs> this is this should just remind me that oh that day is still in the future. Yes. Not that this is that future day. That's exactly right. Right. And so what Joel does is says, okay, we've just experienced a natural disaster of locusts. Let me use all that imagery that you're familiar with to point towards that greater day of the Lord's judgment that's mm. coming in the future. Right. And so as I've already said, like everything that we saw in the past is ramped up. Even the locusts, they become like almost like these cosmic beings. At mm. first, on chapter 2, verse 2, they say, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness that is spread upon the mountains. Think about billions of locusts just flying over the hilltop. It darkens the sky. Yeah, yeah, it literally darkens the, the sky. Yeah. But in chapter 2, verse 10, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon themselves are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. Oh. And so we so one, there's an escalation yeah. from the cloud like cloud cover mm-hmm. to the sun and moon themselves are darkening in front of these locusts. Yeah, and the beat of their wings makes the earth feel like it's quaking. And then yeah. we get the line that I just read. Yeah. The Lord utters his voice before his army. So he's the commander in chief of this military locust campaign. Yeah. yeah. I have this image in my mind of like 
Jesus. You know those like crazy propaganda uh, like posters yes. with there's like there's jet engines and there's like missiles like the Tony Stark image of oh. like him with, surrounded by all of his weapons yes. coming out and he's like stoically standing there. You see Jesus with just <laughs> billions of locusts like coming out. <laughs> I don't think that's the way people we normally think of Jesus. No, but this is apparently how Joel wants you to think of Jesus. Yeah. Standing at the front of this locust like army mm. or this army like locusts commanding it mm. bringing the day of the lord's judgment saying locusts go here locusts eat this yes yeah and now this is he talking about more locusts coming is he talking about a physical army like the babylonians coming is he talking about like god actually coming with an angelic army and enacting what, what's going on there i would probably say yes <laughs> <laughs> safe bet safe bet because i think so we don't precisely know when joel was written right. but let's just assume it was written before the babylonian army came and destroyed oh, yeah, them okay. right yep that was actually the most profound day of the lord's judgment in that point in israel's history right, right? and it was greater than the drought and famine produced by that first locusts mm-hmm. so joel's prophesying in the future and it could very well be the fact that Babylon comes and overwhelms mm-hmm. them and right. overwhelms their army. But again, even that natural disaster points to the fact that there is another day of the Lord coming when an even greater justice will be done and all Israel's enemies will be defeated, which mm-hmm. we haven't even got to yet. Right. But I, So I think, yes, it could be the Babylonian army coming in and right. wiping out Israel. It could also be like a final day of the Lord mm-hmm. where the Lord comes against Israel for its and all people mm-hmm. for its sin and injustice and what we might imagine as the end of like which we would imagine is like right. Jesus's final coming yes yeah. okay so I think it could be both all right um I think there's a good argument to be made for it specifically the Babylonians yeah I know the the commentary the uh, wolf that I read um and I'm not talking about like a herd of wolves that's the commentary herd of name. wolf <laughs> is that what you call a group of wolves a, a herd a herd of a it's a, a pack. A pack. <laughs> a pack of wolves. Do you know a bunch of crows is called a murder? Oh, no. Do you know a bunch of lemurs is called a mob? Did you know a bunch of giraffes is called a tower? Is it really? Did you know a bunch of hippos is called a float? <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's keep going Let's keep on going. This. Everyone's very interested in this. This is why you tune into the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Oh, of course. To learn about animal groupings. And there's uh, some weird ones. Oh, I already said crows. Yeah, you, murder. Got the, you got the murder one. Anyway. Uh, I have no clue what I was about to say. <laughs> we were talking about the day of the Lord. Yes. Period. We were talking Period. about the day of the Lord and how this could be. You were talking about wolf. Talking oh, about wolf. wolf. Yeah. So wolf is a commentator and he doesn't position um, Joel before the Babylonian army. Mm-hmm. He positions it after Ezra and Nehemiah. So after the Babylonian captivity and after the rebuilding of the temple, because the temple's mentioned here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it's mentioned doesn't sound like it was in its original pre-exilic function but more like the more anemic post-exilic function. And so he's saying that like, it can't be the Babylonians because they've already come. Yeah. And so it is pointing to either another army, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe Rome. Right. Or it's pointing to some kind of eschatological, eschatological, which would be like a God actually coming himself yes. in, at the end of time to and do something. And that's what I think is happening. Yeah, I do too. Um, but one, one more point to your point that mm-hmm. it could be another army. If mm-hmm. you go to the end of Joel in Joel chapter three, okay. um, when God, this is like the final day, another day of the Lord he's describing, but he says that God will, oh, where to go? Three chapter. Oh, where is it? He mentioned the, he mentions the northerners. Do you know 
what oh, I'm talking about. Yeah. And he, um, anyway, we'll find it in a second. But he mentions the fact that God will push the northerners away from Israel. Oh, here it is. Uh, chapter 2, verse 20. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land. So the northerner... Is a reference to Babylon, usually. Right. Yeah. So it's like very... Uh, it's a good piece of evidence that this could be mm, Babylon. Yeah. Um, another... It could just mean that the locusts came from the north. Right. Or it could also mean that the, the people were already exiled in the north and mm-hmm. they were, he's removing them from their midst or that they were being, Israel was being occupied by Babylonian northerners and he will remove them and yes. their land will be their own and they won't be under occupied territory anymore. The important thing it doesn't to matter. know <laughs> I mean, is it matters, that but yes. the, the important thing is that the transition from a past day of the Lord and yes. the locust to an escalated day of the Lord coming soon. Yes. And the reason why I think it's actually probably not a physical event, but mm-hmm. like an end of times event yes. is the language that Joel uses. Mm. So he uses a day of darkness and gloom, days of cloud and thick darkness. Uh, he uses in chapter two, two, and then in chapter two, 20, or uh, sorry, not 20, but in, um, 10, he talks about the sun and moon being darkened and the stars right. withdrawing. All that language is actually language from the other prophets. So Zephaniah 1, Isaiah 13, um, and then even Jesus uses it in Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. And then Revelation will use it again. Right. And in almost all those circumstances, it can one, refer to an army, a future army coming. Yes. But it Jesus is also really free, and Revelation is also really free to use it as a comment about like the heavenly army yes, of the right. Lord coming yep. as well. So it could be both. Yep. But I think it's eschatological. It's a, yeah, it's probably at least eschatological. Yes, and yes. it might be more. And it might be more. Okay. But, yes. Very cool. Okay, so... Those are the two days of the Lord. Those are the two days of the Lord. All right. Two days of the Lord's judgment. Okay, before we <laughs> move to repentance and the aftermath of repentance, uh, let's stay here for a second okay. and talk about like past and future judgment okay you know like i mean yeah that's how the book opens and like i don't like like you said you, you talked about like jesus being on a propaganda poster with a billion locusts flying around <laughs> yeah. is not how we think about god typically um no so yeah like, we were joking like there's no like hymns of doom right like, before we came on air yeah. we were like this is like a, a doom poetry yeah <laughs> doom yeah poetry. And, we, and we and we don't say uh what was the song you quoted you oh, oh, it was a uh, uh it was the doxology oh uh, praise god from whom all destruction flows, flows yeah <laughs> yeah right it's like that's not how the song goes yeah it's from all blessings flow yeah and but like joel praises the lord often or like at least describes the lord in yes. a good light for doing these things mm-hmm. Um, that's yes. Yeah. So I'm just like wanting to like stop and meditate on that for a second that like there's this part of God in his justice, in his rule of the world, uh, in his covenant with Israel Mm -hmm. that, um, acts destructively. Yeah. And like, that's not something we typically want to think about. Um, I don't really want to talk about it, but here I am talking about it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think there's a, like a, a, a light way to think about it. Okay. I think it's easy for us to assume that natural disasters are just that. Right. It's that just there, natural. There's no spiritual significance to them. Yes. And I think Joel would probably invite us to say, okay, you can't do that. Mm. As a Christian, as a, a believer in a divine power who might have wound up the universe, mm. you actually have to believe there could be spiritual uh, causes or spiritual omens mm-hmm. or a spiritual dimension to natural disasters. Mm. And I also think like Joel does, 
we also have to be careful not to pin a particular natural disaster on a particular sin. Right. So it's like... Yeah, Joel doesn't mention a specific thing that's happened. He's just saying like, hey, this happened. Wake up. Yeah. Like use worse it, things could happen. Use it as a way to repent before the Lord because mm. something worse is coming. Mm. He's not saying, well, it's the Chinese fault for being Chinese that COVID happened. Right. Or it's like we have we have some comments in YouTube somewhere that said like, well, if, if we wouldn't have been eating... If we would have been eating kosher... Yeah, we wouldn't have had COVID-19. We wouldn't have had COVID-19 because apparently somebody had a bat. It's like, ah, Joel actually never does that with this natural disaster that caused devastation. Mm. But he does use it as a way for us to realize the spiritual dimension of the world around us and as a way to cause us to repent for the God who is terrifying. Right. So So you're saying like there's two sides to this. One is if you never want to attach natural disasters to God, you probably need to think about Joel a little bit mm-hmm. and realize that they have a closer relationship than you might feel comfortable with. Yeah. But if you always want to attach natural disasters to some specific sin that God is punishing in the world, uh, like people try to do with Katrina or mm-hmm. with 9-11 or Whatever. AIDS or anything like that, then Joel wants to reprimand you too. To say, yes. like, maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, like, I mean, it, you can't take the, even though God is sovereign over weather weather patterns, you can't take um, where they happen always carte blanche as a judgment. Like, here's a, here's a positive way to think yeah. about it, which might be helpful. God says that he makes it rain on the righteous and the wicked. Mm-hmm. Right, but he does, and rain is good in this sense. Yes. Like yeah, it yeah. feeds the crops. Yeah, and he's not. That doesn't mean that he is blessing the wicked because of their wicked wickedness. Like, right, give, saying, "Oh, good job, wicked people. Here's right. some rain for your crops." No, he's just saying, like, I'm in charge of the weather, and that I'm merciful. Yeah, and I'm merciful. Like, yeah. So we can't say that. Oh, whenever the sun is shining over mm-hmm. wicked like wicked places that means yeah. god's okay with it and whenever a natural disaster comes to a place that seems like it was good like a tornado takes out a faithful church building mm-hmm. there must have been something bad going on in that right. church basement no yeah. you don't have to think that yeah okay that's helpful yeah and i think i think what joel and i i think go back a liturgical document mm. that's helping people worship at a time of crisis like what else can you do like, yeah. I don't know the mind of the Lord. I don't know the reason why this happened. I don't no. know the reason why that happened. Right. I can't presume to even try to figure out a reason. Like, yeah. I'm, like I, the only the only reason you can find is maybe I should think about that our world is more broken than I want to admit. Yes. And that there's something even worse maybe for like, yeah. coming in the future. Right. And so it's like, okay, so it should cause me to think about what's important <laughs> like mm. am i serving the lord right it should make you repent it should make you lament and repent it should make you lament over the damage that's been done yes go and do justice and love mercy yes. and like help those in who have been devastated by that disaster yeah but also repent because you don't know if why this happens yeah you also know that you're more sinful than right. you admit. Than yeah. You want to admit. Yeah, you, you you are probably more deserving of. And think of about the the, the, the escalation to the eschaton. Yeah, like, there. One day, God will come and judge evil. Yes. And if this is just a picture of what God will do when He comes to judge evil, that's so, that's sobering. It's sobering. That's yeah. what it's supposed to. It's, it's supposed, supposed to, to cause. Okay, God, I don't want this to come to me personally. Yeah. I don't want this to come to others that I know and love. So I'm going to repent and lament 
and hope that you will come and save me, save my city, save my nation on that last day yeah. and even right now. Okay. I'm, I'm happy to land the plane there, I think, um, because I think that, okay, we, we've led to repentance and mm-hmm. lament, and that's yeah. kind of the bridge into the next section. Okay, so let's talk about repenting and lamenting. Yep. Uh, something we as Westerners love to do. Yes, all the time. I mean, how Everybody, many... We sing lament songs all day. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hymns of doom all are right, right, are is right there. Is my sarcasm making it through um, this microphone? <laughs> yeah, so Joel... So chapter one and chapter two are very similar. Plague of locusts, escalated plague of locusts. Mm-hmm. Call for repentance in chapter one, escalated call for repentance in chapter two. Okay. In chapter two, verse 12... Uh, Joel speaks for the Lord. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Mm. Return to the Lord because he's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Wow. Who knows whether he will not return and relent and leave a blessing behind him? So, mm. like, so Joel says, okay, guys, we're in this situation. Devastation is around us. We can predict more devastation is coming for those that disobey the Lord. Right. But repent, tear your hearts, not your garments. I mean, don't do half-hearted religious repentance. Do real heart repentance, real genuine repentance. Yeah, it was like a normal cultural thing for them to uh, rip their garments and yep. cover themselves in ashes as an outward sign of repentance, mm-hmm. but God's saying, "Like I see your hearts. I need, like, I want you to actually feel like lament and mourning and and sorrow over whatever you've done." Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and He says, "When you do that," and Joel says, "Who knows? Maybe the Lord will relent over mm-hmm. the disaster that yeah. He's come." Well, yeah. What I love about that too is is at the beginning of verse twelve is yet even now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. I think we feel like in the middle of disaster, it's too late. Like we've missed the opportunity to After the locusts have come, what can we do? Right. It's like, oh, well, we got God's judgment. We must be abandoned. Mm -hmm. It must all be over. There is no hope. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, even now, Mm -hmm. in the middle of disaster, whenever everything is terrerrible and you feel abandoned by God, all you like repent. Mm -hmm. Even now, God loves loves to relent from his de- destruction that he has planned he he's he's merciful he's gracious and he quotes exodus he quotes the very first time god describes himself yeah and he says god is slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love yeah he, this is his character bends towards love yes bends he, towards mercy he wants to come and give you mercy yeah. like and it was he was so slow in bringing this lo- this locust plague to begin with he'll be quick to take it away mm-hmm. which we'll see next you know in, yeah, yeah. in Joel because yeah. the repentance works in Joel by yeah, the way right. yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like we see the character of God play out that way but yeah, I just, yeah anyway I love that that it's like yet even now in the middle of destruction I just feel like that's really good news mm-hmm. for me I feel like it's when everything goes wrong you know that's when I feel like there's no point in repenting. You know what I mean? Like it's like, well, everything was already is already terrible. Why repent? You yeah, know? Well, so I can't. Me repenting doesn't. It's not going to change my circumstance. Right. Me yeah. admitting that I'm wrong isn't going to change the weather outside. Right. Right. Or even my own state of being inside. Yeah. Like, and God's like, no, 
yet even now repent because things can get better or they can get worse. You know, and it's like God is longing to shower you with mercy and compassion. So just repent. And it's like, what does he mean by that? Return to me with all your heart, you know, which again is a callback to Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, Mm -hmm. right? And like we're we're talking about these locusts are coming because they broke the law of Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying like the solution is to just covenant back with me, yeah. which is love me with your whole heart, with all your mind and your soul and your strength. It's so funny. It's like, you don't need to mention the specific ways right. that Israel's broken the commands to justify the plague of locusts. Has Israel loved God with their whole heart? Right. No. Can any of us ever say <laughs> yeah, that? You know, right, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I understand that. Um, so that's not the only Egypt, uh, Egypt-Israel connection, Mount okay. Sinai connection. So... Joel quotes the first time God describes himself here. Right. And then if you go to chapter 17 or verse 17, chapter 17, there's only three chapters. I was like, whoa. Um, But like, so Joel says, okay, this is who God is. He bends towards mercy and justice. He's slow to anger. And he says, okay, all of us come to the temple, come and fast and pray. And then he says this, between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the minister of the Lord weep and say, spare your people. This is the lament. Spare your people, O Lord. And make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? So this is what Moses says to God in, after the golden calf. In Exodus 32, it's, yes. the same, it's the same phrasing. Why should they say among the peoples that God has brought us into the wilderness to kill us out here? Mm. So he, he he's pulling on this, on the plagues in Egypt, mm. pulling on their faithlessness back then. And he's saying, we repent of this. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too that the repentance is for God's namesake. It's right. like, don't let your name be sullied by the way that you treat your people. Right. Because if, if you completely wipe out Israel, who will be left to represent you on the earth? Right. Is the argument that yes. Moses and now Joel uses. And it's the argument we make against God all the time. Mm. So it's like in a natural disaster, why would God ever do this to us? Like, why, why is it like, he can't be good if this is happening hmm. to us, right? And then, so Moses says, that's exactly right, God. Don't let this happen to us. Restore us. Prove to the nations out there. Prove to everyone asking, you hmm. can't be good because of this. And show them that you are good by showing mercy to us. Hmm. Right? Yeah, I think so. And I think also he, he pulls on the Exodus story here. Because like, in the middle of a natural disaster like this, where it seems like God's abandoned his people... I think you'd ask the question like, okay, fine. You want me to lament? You want me to repent? But will it even work? Mm-hmm. Like, will God actually show us mercy? I know that old book, you know, Exodus says that he's merciful. Right. But will he actually be? And he's like, remember the story of the golden calf? When in front of God himself, people built an idol and worshiped it and said, mm-hmm. here's the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and spit in God's face, basically. And then they repented. Did God forgive them then? Yes. He will forgive you now. You yeah. know, like it's like pulling on God's past yeah. faithfulness to prove that he will be faithful in the future. It's That's really good. It gives that, so like, who knows whether he'll relent. Like, yeah. You assume the answer is yes. But at the same time, I don't think for Joel, he really knew. Yeah. He didn't know if that would actually happen. No. I who mean, knows if God will relent? Right. We could repent, but maybe this is the end of God's promises to us. Yes. Which, I mean, is, and I think that's that's a big question that, so many people ask. I feel like almost once a week, even, we get emails here at Spoken Gospel from listeners and viewers who say like, man, thank you guys for your content, everything like that. I got one question for you. How do I know that I'm saved? 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very regular. How do I know that a day of judgment's not coming for me? Yeah. I feel like I feel like the people in Joel, and I still ask the question, who knows if God will relent? Yeah. I believe the day of judgment's coming, mm-hmm. and I've lamented and repented, but who knows? Hopefully it'll work. Yeah. You know? And like the good news of Jesus is that we know yeah. that God relents. How do we know that? Well, because the final day of judgment has come in the person of Jesus. Yeah. Who knows if God will relent? Jesus died on the cross to take our judgment, and he rose from the dead to prove that God's judgment had relented. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, we know yeah. that there will not be a final day of judgment reserved for us because it has already been extinguished on Jesus himself. Yeah, for after the cross lamenting and repenting, is all that's necessary. That's right. We don't have to prove it by casting out demons or healing people or even doing a certain number of good works. Like trusting Mm. in Jesus, lamenting, repenting, calling out to him is how we know. Yes. If we've done that. Then we know. Then we know. Yeah. Which is like uh, what John in the New Testament wrote. He's like, in his writings, he says, I'm writing all this stuff in this book here so that you may know, (laughs) you know, that you are his. And it's only when we start doing the outward things as a way to secure Mm. God's care of us that we're in danger of what's happening here in Joel. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments. And as soon as we start trying to rend and tear and place our hands on the number of good works, miracles, whatever, Bible reading things we're doing, Mm -hmm. instead of trusting Jesus, we come closer and closer to the judgment Joel's describing. Yes. We should read our Bibles. We should pray for the sick. Yeah. But not as a way to prove that we're worthy of God's mercy. No. But, but as an <laughs> outflow of the fact that we have received God's mercy. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, that's really interesting. So that's, yeah. I think that's good news for us. We know. Yeah, we know. We know God will be even in the Even us. in the middle of the plague, even whenever the natural disaster hits mm-hmm. your house, right? Even whenever mm-hmm. the disease comes, right? Even when you lose everything, even when you feel abandoned by God, when you repent, lament, and trust in Jesus, we know mm-hmm. that God has lamented or uh, relented yeah. and that whenever he comes again in that final escalated day of the Lord, it will not be a day of judgment for us, but a day of mercy. Yeah. yeah. And think about the way that Jesus announces his arrival hmm. to Israel in Luke 4. I've come to set the captives free, to preach good news to the poor, to people who live as if their lives have been wrecked by a natural disaster. Like, and he comes in that moment to provide not just eschatological mm. safety in the new heavens and the new earth and the new garden of Eden, but he actually fed people. Yes. He actually like provided for poor people. He actually did things that undid the desolation of um, Rome and mm. the systems and whatever else, which is also what happens in Joel. But yes. it looks like you want to say something else before we jump to the next part of the book of Joel. Um, I, w- I was just looking at Luke 4 uh, because he talks about the year of the Lord's favor, mm, you know, and I was right. like, is it the day of the Lord that he quotes there? In it's the in, year in, of in the, the Lord. And, and then he says, today, this scripture has been, you know, fulfilled in your in your hearing. So I was just, I was curious about it. You mentioned Luke 4 and it sent me spiraling. But that's, uh, that's it. Yeah, maybe here. Uh, do you have anything else on that? I was just going to say, well, that's what happens in the second half of the book right. of Joel. You have an, a coming day of the Lord's mercy. Mm. And then a far-reaching day of the Lord's mercy. Yeah. So just like you had a past day of the Lord's judgment and a coming day of the Lord's judgment in the last half of the book of Joel, you have a 
near day of the Lord's mercy and a far day of the Lord's mercy in the same way that we have a near day of the Lord's mercy where Jesus fed the poor, healed the sick, Mm. came near the widows, and there's a final day of the Lord's mercy when the Garden of Eden finally comes. Yeah. We see both in Jesus. And there's a lot to unpack in that second half of the book that we might want to put in the next episode. Yeah? Yes. I think so. I think we've... I think we've 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 uh, stretched our audience's listening time <laughs> as far as it should go for this episode. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, um, look forward to the day of the Lord. Look forward to the day of the Lord. Repent <laughs> and lament and know and know. <laughs> we didn't finish the series. <laughs> and no and no. no. Period. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Well, guys, yeah. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next week to wrap up the Book of Joel. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.